In 2013, Princeton University professor Kim Lane Sheppel coined the term Frankenstate in her article, Not Your Father's Authoritarianism, The Creation of the Frankenstate. In that essay, she writes, a Frankenstate is an abusive form of rule created by combining the bits and pieces of perfectly reasonable democratic institutions in monstrous ways, much as Frankenstein's monster was created from bits and pieces of other living things. No one part is objectionable. The horror emerges from the combinations. So this week, I asked Professor of Constitutional Law, Susie Navot, what could happen if other legal systems are grafted on Israel's judiciary? It is very easy to change in Israel the system of government. It is very easy to become a non-democratic state. I joined Professor Navot at the Jerusalem-based Israel Democracy Institute, where she is the vice president, to find out after this tempestuous week what matters now. You're listening to this podcast, so I know you care about the war in Israel right now. And you've been reading the headlines. Massacre in Gaza. Genocide perpetrated by Hamas. No, by Israel. But if you've been listening to this podcast long enough, you know one thing. This stuff seems complicated. And honestly, no one can really just pick a side or decide an opinion without really learning. Without really knowing what you're talking about. And that's where this podcast comes in. Check out Unpacking Israeli History, now in its sixth season. They have episodes with topics ranging from what is Hamas anyway, to whether Israel should ransom captured soldiers, and the history of Israel and its disengagement from Gaza in 2005. Unpacking Israeli history cuts through the noise and helps you understand Israel's present through understanding Israel's history. So, educate yourself. Learn the history behind the headlines. Find Unpacking Israeli History wherever you listen to your podcasts. Professor Susie Navot, thank you so much for allowing me into your room here at the Israel Democracy Institute in the heart of beautiful Jerusalem, an amazingly gorgeous building with a beautiful garden. And we're here sitting on a chilly day inside your heated room. So thank you so much for letting me in. <laughs> it's a pleasure to host you, Amanda. Thank you for coming. Now, this has been quite the week. We've seen massive demonstrations. We've seen ups and downs in the Knesset. The opposition is angry. The coalition is determined. And so I ask you, Susie Navot, what matters now? As we're going to talk about this reform and what is happening in Israel, let me, let me tell you something that is happening in Israel, but we, perhaps we do not see it. Because, you know, if you look around what is happening in the world, we are seeing now a rise of populism in several countries. And along with this trend of populism, we are seeing a democratic erosion in many, many countries. Democracies no longer die in one day. You do not see, you know, an, a violent coup or, or that, that over, overthrows a government. Democracies die very slowly. They wear out. And we notice it sometimes with slow changes, and then you wake up the next day, and you are not a democratic country anymore. And what is happening in Israel is exactly this trend. And 
you know, the, cons the our constitutional structure um, actually exposes Israel to the dangers of this democratic erosion much more than in any other country in the world. Israel is unique. Unique in the way, it's unique in so many beautiful ways. But it's unique because in every other country you have mechanisms, you have tools that decentralize political power. You have checks and balances. Now we are hearing every day, and yesterday we heard it, and today we heard it, that um, Israel needs to restore the checks and balances, and I quote the Minister of, of uh, Justice Levine, and, and we need to restore the checks and balances between the branches and to restore the separation of powers. And I argue that is, it is very difficult to restore something that you do not have, really do not have. We do not have any tool for the decentralization of the political power of the Knesset. In every country, every country, you have a rigid constitution, you have um, splitting of the legislative uh, authority into two houses of government, okay? You have the right of veto in the United States given to the president on legislation. You have a federal structure. So if the Supreme Court, for example, gives a ruling that, okay, does not, um, it's, it's not consistent with what the different states in the United States think they will do otherwise. You have a regional electoral system, and sometimes in Europe you have the existence of international courts, like uh, the um, European Court of Human Rights. Now, all of these tools are checks and balances, and Israel has none of them. So it is very easy, it is very easy to change in Israel the system of government. It is very easy to become a non-democratic state. We do not have any tool like this. So what we're seeing is, um, I think, the, pol the politicians, the government now, they want to rule by the majority. Majority rules in Israel. And what is most important, I think the most important thing is that in Israel, 61 members of the Knesset, the Knesset comprises 120, 61 can do anything they want. There is no limitation whatsoever on their power. So if 61 want to overthrow the, the president, okay, they, want, they do not want the president anymore. So it need, you, know, you need two, three days in the Knesset, a bill, a basic law, and we do not have any president, the president anymore. You want to uh, declare that Bagatz, you know, the, the high court of justice does not exist, no problem. Two versus one in the Knesset is enough, okay, to say that we do not have um, a Supreme Court anymore. And that is the problem of Israel. And that is the problem even when we're all the time hearing that we are comparing, the, the people are comparing Israel with other states. We are completely different, okay? And that is what is going on today in Israel, a fight on the, on the power, on the absolute power of the new government. Okay, so much to unpack there. That was <laughs> extremely powerful and passionate, and I really appreciate that. We are all, of course, uh, very anxious and upset over what's happening. And let's just spell it out a little bit uh, more basically for our listeners. Now, you mentioned there are always countries that have a clear constitution, but of course there are countries that, that don't have constitutions. And I they know only of two. Uh, England, New Zealand, Canada. Canada. Uh, Canada. Constitutional Act. And the Charter of, of Rights and Freedoms. So for okay. me, it's a constitution. I, I know only of two. Okay, so the two are? England and New Zealand. England and New Zealand and yeah. Israel. Of oh, course. Israel, well, we do not have 
a document called the Constitution. But I always asked, I used to ask my students, so what is the Constitution? It's, it's not only a paper, it's something that functions as a constitution. So if your rights, Amanda, and my rights are protected by, in a basic law, and if we have a Supreme Court that can declare that a basic law is unconstitutional, like you can, you may in Israel. So we do have something that is like a constitution. It's not a rigid constitution. It's a very fragile one. It's not complete, but it works for me and for you as a constitution. And, and I think that is what is important. If I can actually make my rights to be um, useful, okay, they are effectively protected because if you do not have a constitution, so the majority that is at the government at this moment, they can do whatever they like. But in Israel, as of today, and I cannot speak about what will be tomorrow or the day after, but as of today, your rights and my rights are protected by the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court may decide that a law that has been enacted this morning in the Knesset may be declared unconstitutional by the court. We have judicial review of laws like in the United States and in most of the countries in the world. And this is a constitutional mechanism. So it's not a constitution. If you look at the Wikipedia and you know you write the constitution of Israel, you will not find it. But in many books, for example, Israel is referred to as a constitutional state by basic laws. And you know, basic law is not a, a word that, uh, you know, for example, in Germany, the constitution of Germany is not called the constitution of Germany, but it's called the Grundgesetznorm, the basic law of Germany. And still it works as a constitution. You know, if it works like a constitution, it sounds like a constitution, and it looks like a constitution, even if you call it basic laws, then it's a constitution. So I say we have, I think we are two and a half countries in the world without a formal rigid constitution. So there are some that call Israel a constitutional democracy, as you said, and there are others who label it as a parliamentary democracy. And I think this kind of gets to the, the heart of the matter that, okay, so where is the actual democracy? Is it in the parliament or is it in the idea of the constitution and the protections? And It's, it's not all over this or the other because uh, a democratic country may be a, a parliamentary democracy at um, constitutional monarchy, for example, Spain is a is a, dem, a democratic country. It's a parliamentary system, but they have a monarch, and okay, and it may be a presidential democracy like the United States. So we are we are a constitutional democracy. Okay, the system of government is is not the separation of powers that you have in the United States. That is very very clear. You have a president with all you know. Oh, the, the governmental power and the executive power, and you have the House of Representatives that is completely different. In Israel, the, the system is, we have a parliament, and out of the parliament comes the government. Okay, most of our ministers are members of the Knesset, almost all of them, usually. So it's not a very rigid separation of power, but still we are a democracy today. Okay. 
it feels very much like there are different camps in Israel, and I think it's very clear that there are different camps in Israel. Yeah, unfortunately, because I think democracy has nothing to do with right or, you know, or left or with religious people or secular people with Jews and Arabs. I think democracy is something that is it, important for everyone, because you never know when you will be a minority. Right, and that's something I wanted to ask you about, because... One camp is saying, hey, majority rules. We're the elected officials. We should be the ones who, for example, elect the Supreme Court judges. The people gave us power and we should represent the people. And then there's another camp that says about minorities. What? Okay. The, the first camp, majority rules, um, I think, I, I don't know if it's a camp like this, but they have uh, perhaps a very, very, I think a wrong idea of what democracy is. Democracy is not majority rules, because it's, if it's the only principle of democracy, then you know the majority can do terrible things to the minority, and you will not call it, um, um, you will not call it a democratic country. And history has taught us a lot about majority rules. Um, I, I always uh, I ask in, the, in my lectures nowadays, I, I ask, okay, how do you define democracy? And, and the answer I get is majority rules. Okay, so it's two words. I say, okay, you define minor majority by two, wo two words. Okay, now try to define soccer or football in two words. So the answer I get to this one, they say, okay, no, football, it's much more complicated. <laughs> I say, okay, there you are. Democracy, it's much more complicated than majority rules. Democracy is like, you know, like a, like a star with five uh, edges. You need, you know, separation of powers. You need a protection of the minorities. You need a rule of law and, and a judiciary that is completely independent. And you need, of course, free elections. Without this, this is not a democracy. I would add free press as well. Yeah, free press for me, it's part of the free elections because in order to have free elections, people need to know how to vote and for whom to vote. And it depends on, you know, the freedom of press and the freedom of, of speech and the freedom that we uh, to even to go and have uh, a demonstration. Okay, without this, we, do, we will not have free elections. So it's part of it. And if you want to know a real, um, I think, definition of democracy, you know, there was democracy index by The Economist. They have 60 parameters of democracy. And by these 60 parameters, they check each and every country. So it's not majority rules. For me, when you say majority rules, I say, okay, this government was elected, legally elected, and they may, they may rule as they want. But I want to know what are they, their limits, what things they cannot do. For example, in my view, they cannot change the, uh, the basic structure of Israel. They cannot decide, they are not legitimate to decide that this country will not be Jewish anymore. And the same, they cannot decide that this country will not be democratic anymore. Okay, these are things that are on the basic values of the state. It's part of the Declaration of Independence. So the, the, the government that we choose every four years, the Knesset and the, the government, they can rule as they see fit and in a part of economy and security and interior and this, everything is all right. But you will not change the basic uh, structure of the state as if we had a constitution. 
Okay, if, you know, you have a president of the United States. There are many things he cannot do, even if he wants to. Okay, you have a, okay, you have the, to pass the Senate and the Congress, and you have a constitution that has not been amended since it has been amended since 1789, 27 times. In Israel, we have amended our basic laws in the last five years more than 27 times. So this is the basic difference between. So, so still, yes, majority rules, but depend on what. And what this government is trying to do is to, to eliminate all limitations on their power. They want to decide whatever they want. And this is something that, for me, it's very dangerous. Okay, part of what makes Israel so great is that we are quick. We are able to pivot. We are able to improvise. We're able to change very quickly when necessitated. And maybe part of that is the fact that we decided not to have a constitution. We decided not to have things pinned down in law. And so, yes, this government can pivot and change everything with 61 votes, but then the next government could do the same and change it all back, couldn't exactly. they? Yes, if we will have a new government. You know, the populism in the world shows that after a country is not democratic anymore, it's very difficult to change the government that is ruling. You just have to look at Hungary and Poland and Turkey and Russia and to see what's going on. And and we, we, not, we do not want to, to be there. And if all this reform passes, I think we will be I think even more extreme that Poland and Hungary because they are part of the European community and still they have this, you know, they, this iron dome that is over them, the, the country that supports them still economically, for example. Israel will not be there. And, and I think that perhaps, you know, perhaps this is a, we are in a, a constitutional crisis and perhaps this is a good a good time to think, to rethink the idea of the Constitution. This is 75th birthday of Israel. You know, the, the, when the, the, the country was established, the first Knesset was elected as an, a constituent assembly to give the country a constitution. In 49, they were elected, these 120 people, they were not called the Knesset. They were called a constituent assembly. Okay, please write a constitution but they did not reach an agreement. And, and the decision was, okay, we cannot do that. There were many reasons why, many reasons. A country that it's, you know, still was at war. And the decision was, okay, we will, we will enact a constitution in stages. You know, like a salami, we will cut tranches. Um, you just mentioned that Israel is unique and so quick. And, and we, th that was a genius idea, I said. In, in any other country of the world, never decided such a thing. But the idea was we will enact a constitution by stages. Each chapter of the constitution will be called a basic law. And we have been doing that for years now, enacting all the chapters. We are almost there, but we never finished. And that is the problem. I say, okay, perhaps for this birthday, now that everybody in the street understands what is going on? And who would dream about it? Okay, you sometimes go to protest because um, there are perhaps something concerning abortion. This is something that you understand and you can visually uh, even view it in your mind. But when you go out to fight for democracy, for an override clause, for the uh, um, 
for the independence of the judges, it's so amorphous, it's like a cloud, but still people go out. And people understand that something is wrong in the system and we need to fix it. And perhaps this is the time, perhaps an agreement can be reached, okay, not these reforms that gives absolute power to the government, but something that Israel as a whole, the whole people can benefit from it. Let's perhaps, you know, have the president will do that. Let's put up a committee to complete the constitution and let's make this the year of the constitution of Israel perhaps something positive and not only negative, but it's up to them to decide. The surge in anti-Semitism since the October 7th attacks has changed the Jewish community's relationship with a slew of social and political issues. In the newest episode of The Glue, Jewish Federations of North America President and CEO Eric Fingerhut talks to Congressman Richie Torres, who has proved to be a pro-Israel bridge builder about everything from DEI to social media. Their conversation is fascinating. Listen to it and subscribe to The Glue with Eric Fingerhut wherever you get your podcasts. We should end the podcast here on a positive note, but we're going to continue (laughs) in any case. Now, no one is saying, or very few, I think, are saying that what we have now is perfect. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, since the year I was born, 1975, there's been uh, examination of judicial review. In the past several uh, years, there's been uh, calling for new legislation, and you yourself uh, served on one of these committees. Tell us a little bit about this committee. It was a committee actually um, proposed by the former Minister of Justice, Gidon Saar. And this committee was proposed in order to write one of the chapters missing, which is the basic law on the legislature, which will actually say that these basic laws have constitutional status and the court has the power to judicial review and deal with all the details of how many judges do you need in order to declare an unconstitutional law, etc., etc. Everything that's being discussed right now, essentially. Exactly. Uh, but uh, it was a committee, only members of the uh, coalition took part in it. And I was asked by the Labour Party to take their place. And there were another two professors that were asked by parties. But I said, I'm not going as a member of, uh, I'm not a politician and I, it's nothing to do with politics. Even if, you know, some Ayala Chaked from the, from the right wing would have asked me to come, I would agree at the same time. I went there only because I believe in this idea. But it only lasted a few months because the last government dispersed. And I think the, the problem that this committee has is that no one from the co- from the opposition were there, not the Likud or the religious parties. Were they invited? I think so. I think, I'm not sure. But nevertheless, they said, if they were invited, they said they would not come. And um, and it's a pity because a constitution cannot, cannot be done by a majority, by the idea of majority rules. 
against a minority. For example, one of our basic laws, which is the most, perhaps one of the most important, the basic law, nation state of the Jewish people. It was passed by a majority of 62 versus 55. I think this is terrible because it means that, you know, the basic principle that Israel is the Jewish state, uh, is the homeland of the Jewish people. It's so important that you need a majority of 90 for that. But why the, the, the opposition said no? Because they decided not to mention the principle of equality and not to mention the principle of, of the Declaration of Independence and not to mention the principle of democracy. So they say, okay, if you do not write these things that are so important for us, we will be against it. And, and what, is this, what is the outcome? Is it a good outcome that we, we have a chapter on the Constitution that was passed by a, by a very small majority? This is wrong. And I think the outcome of this commission by Gideon Saar, if it would have ended you know, at the end with a, with a proposal, it will not be a proposal of all the Knesset, of all the representatives of the people. And I hope, therefore, that a new commission would be elected in order to do something, but to do something for the people, meaning that if each and every one of them would be represented each and every, you know, um, party in the, in the Knesset now, including, for example, the Arab people, even if they do not agree, include the religious people, even they say, okay, we, do, we have a constitution and we do not in, need uh, anything else than the Torah, etc. But they have to be there. They have to take part. We have to write an ethos that is common for all the people of Israel. Otherwise, we will, you know, we will be separated. And, and it's not good. You mentioned something right now that I think is very important, the very stratified nature of Israeli society, and where do they draw authority from? You mentioned, of course, the religious sector that draws uh, from the Torah. And it seems to me that a lot of Israel itself draws authority from external sources, meaning we were built upon other people's laws to begin with. We were built on the Ottoman system. We were built on the British system. And I just wonder, what is the Israeli system? And, and can we actually get there? I think this is a very good question. I am not sure that I have the right answer for that question. Indeed, we were built upon, you know, uh, things that the Ottomans uh, left us and then the British system. But we have been enacting our laws for 75 years. And for me, the Declaration of Independence is the essence of the country. We are both Jewish and democratic, and this is the right um, order. We are Jewish and democratic. We're not democratic and Jewish. This is a Jewish country. It means that it will, it, it will never be 100% democratic because democracy has to you know, give place to the Jewish system means that perhaps some of my rights, okay, will not be protected because of the Jewish interest, and I I am fine with that. I think that is it's it's great to live in such a place, and we will not be a hundred percent Jewish. And I'm sorry for all the Orthodox that think that we should be a a Lachic country. We will not be there because we have to give the place to democracy, and what. Israel has been doing, and I think with a great success for over the years, is a fine balance between both values. And these are the values of the state. This is my constitution. 
as you mentioned, they were set out already in the Declaration of Independence. So then why did we need a basic law afterwards, another chapter for the Constitution? Because the Declaration of Independence is not built and is not written as a constitution. Constitution is something that, first of all, it's like, you know, you have to explain the rules of the game uh, or rules of football or soccer to, to somebody else. You have to explain to the people around the world and in Israel, what are the rules of the game and who are the players, okay? You have to explain what is the Knesset and who elects the Knesset and how it works and what is the government and how, okay, and how it works and the president and, you know, the state controller and the army. And so you need all these chapters and they were not there at the Declaration of Independence. So of course, you need a very good bill, a charter of human rights which we do not have, and it has to be completed. Even if some of the rights, we will say, okay, everybody has the right of freedom of religion, but, okay, it will be protected as long as it does not conflict with the Jewish state. It's okay. okay? It's okay that my right of uh, religion is different from um, an American or a French. It's okay. It's fine for me because this is my country. And it's a it's a Jewish country. It's not a, the country. It's not a secular country. It's okay to have limited rights in certain things, and I think it's very easy. It is not difficult to come to a, an agreement upon these two ideas: an agreement between all sectors of society. We have to recognize minorities. We have a twenty percent minority living as a as a minority that has is was born here and has its rights, and we have to accept their rights, not all the rights, of course, because it's a Jewish country, but but their rights, that they are equal, not only to vote, but equal in, in what they need in their, for example, in the village and, and you know, and the roads. Infrastructure. Uh, yes, of course. Mm -hmm. And we have to understand that we have um, religious people living among us and there are things that I cannot even... Think of doing it's like you know entering with my car in Nebrak in, in in Sabbath or, or or something like that and or going uh, in a way that is not suitable to to the Kotel. It's okay, okay. Even if you have the right of freedom of um, taking all your clothes off, like a woman did this week. I at think the Kotel. that was. <laughs> I, I did not like that. I'm sorry about that, but yes. I did not like it. You know, mm. you have to you have to understand the, your neighbor. You're, we are all neighbors. You have to understand. You have to respect, and and that's the basic. And we and it's something that we're losing in these days. We are seeing too much hatred, and for me, it's um, it's also something that is is dangerous for me because I think one of the most important things of this country is the solidarity between its people. When something happens, we are all one family. And we have to remember that all the time. Even if I am demonstrating tomorrow or Saturday, okay, I am not demonstrating against any uh, any other people that is um, believes that it's good this reform. I'm not demonstrating against. I'm I am asking, do not pass this reform because it's danger for our democracy. Do something else, okay, that is good for all the people. And this is something that we're not talking about it enough about. This, the separation of people, the, the splitting of the, into groups. Uh, you are for Bibi, you are anti-Bibi, you are left, you are left, and therefore you are a traitor, and you are right, therefore you are, um, I don't know, an ape. I ate somebody, yeah, calling people apes. I, I, 
this is something that Rizal is deteriorating into. And I think it's very bad. And somebody has to stop it. So tribalism in the Israeli or Israelite culture. Tribalism is a nice word. It's Thank you. nothing new, right? And the question is, you have this vision of a constitutional uh, Congress, a committee. Can we even sit in one tent anymore at this point? And who could be the King David, the King Solomon, whoever? I think perhaps a former president like Rivlin or perhaps this president. And I will answer that question if I go to this Congress or these the Federalist papers in Israel. I will, when I come back, I will tell you if we may sit in white table. I hope yes. I have been talking a lot over the past weeks and months and years with colleagues from completely different um, views. And th I think we have 80% in common. So it's, it's enough for me. That we'll is remarkable, 80%. Yes, I think so. Mm -hmm. I think. Yeah. But something is wrong in this, um, in, in this uh, reform um, that only wants more power and wants power with no limits because they have special interests that have to be passed by laws and they do not want the court to interfere. Something is wrong because it deals only with power. It does not deal with what Israel really needs concerning, for example, the judicial system that needs to be amended, yes, for years now. But they're not talking about it. They're talking only about power. We want more power. And if you, if we want, if you want to talk about, you know, the, the, the things that Levin puts on, put on the table, or Rotman, the, the head of the, um, the committee, they are all talking about the same issue. Okay, that we want an override clause. We want to override the court if the court states, if the court rules that this law is unconstitutional. We do not want somebody to tell us that our laws are unconstitutional, and um, we do not want the court to uh, to declare that decisions by government are not reasonable. We want a statement that says that everyone, everything that a government does, it's always reasonable even if it's, you know, corrupted. We do, not in, we do not want them to interfere. And we do not want the court to deal with amendments to the basic laws because we want the basic laws to be immune from any judicial review, <laughs> which makes me, of course, you know, smile because what is a basic law? It should be a chapter of the constitution, but how do you amend it? How do you pass it? By a simple majority on the Knesset, as if it was a, reg a regular law, you only call it, you know, basic law, and there is a basic law. In, but if you want to deal with, uh, you know, cats walking on the streets, okay, in a regular law, you, okay, basic law on cats. It's no problem. So the court should not be uh, able to, to see if this is a misuse of this constituent power. So they want just the power, but they're not talking about what needs to be done, meaning that we need to, for example, to deal with the procedures in criminal and civil cases that in Israel, you know, take so long, so long. And if we, for example, take, for example, the, the case of, of Benjamin Netanyahu, okay, the, the indictment was filed more than three years ago. And the investigation began three years before. So we are already in the sixth years of the case. And we are still in the hearings of, you know, the witnesses in the district court. It will take another two years, perhaps, to finish the district court and another two years in the Supreme Court. Come on, this is not justice for me. 
this is something incredible and it should not be possible in a you know in a country like Israel a developed country um, uh, a startup nation we need to deal with that we need more judges we need another court between the magistrates and the Supreme Court but nobody's talking about it Right. I think it should be uh, our listeners need to be reminded that the Supreme Court has two functions. It tell us exactly what they are. The Supreme Court of Israel is one court. It's the actually the Supreme Court of Appeals of the State of Israel, meaning that all cases, all of them that start, even if are criminal cases or all, all kind of cases, uh, civil cases that start in the magistrate court will actually go to the Supreme Court. For appeal, so they hear about ten thousand twelve thousand cases per year, fifteen judges. I don't know about another court that works like that, and also it's the the high court of justice of Israel, meaning that every petition that has to do with uh, our rights that the government perhaps infringe upon them will go directly to the Supreme Court. By a different proce- procedure, but it's the same court with the same judges. And this is something that perhaps was very good for 1949, 50 or 60, but we are a country that loves to go to court. And therefore we need another court. We need much more judges. But this is something that the reform does not deal with, unfortunately. And it should deal with. So we began our conversation talking about what uh, Princeton professor, uh, Professor Kim Lane Sheppel, I believe was her mm-hmm. name, called the Frankenstate and how the Frankenstate takes pieces of democratic appearing uh, procedures from one place and the other in order to create more erosion of democracy. Essentially, that seems to be her thesis. And do you see that happening with the proposed judicial reforms? Because I hear, well, Canada has an override clause or... Well, only Canada. Something familiar is in, in Finland, but it's different. And, and in Canada, was, the override was uh, actually put on the charter for a completely different reason. Israel is a specialist in, par- in we call it cherry picking. Okay, you go to a country, say, so, okay, we like it. So we take... Uh, the Norwegian law on um, ministers and we go we will have the French law on immunity on the president or the prime minister and we take the override from Canada and the biennial with two years uh, budget from Bahrain and so on and so on this is something unheard of because you do not do cherry picking from different countries because each and every country has its own model of And I think what is most important, it's on culture. So we need, if you want to use, you know, the um, uh, comparative overview, it's very important. But it's, you know, just for seeing what other people are, uh, other people are doing, how it works. But not to import it, not to make this um, arrangement to make Aliyah to, into Israel. Because you cannot take something from Canada without the um, checks and balances from Canada. And the separation of powers in Canada or take the um, the hearings of the judges at the at the commissions in the Senate from the United States without bringing also the Constitution around the United States the separation of powers of the United States etc etc and this is something that I think um, slowly people are be, are are being convinced that it's not right to do so 
we need to um, develop our system from the culture of Israel, from the system of Israel, and from what we need to do according to the rules of Israel. We're not going to bring something completely new. It's not, I think it's not, not only not fair, it's not right. It will be like uh, you bring, um, you have an implant or something that is completely um, alien to your body or to, to the body of law in Israel. And that's why I said, okay, don't talk to me about what's going on. You want to, br you want to bring what is, what is happening in the country, no problem. You just choose your country, whatever you want, but bring all the system, all of it. If you want to go to Britain without constitution, no problem, but bring us the British you know, culture, meaning bring us the it is not done. And look at Britain, if you have their ministers that have been convicted, that want to come back again and bring all the system but not, you know, this cherry picking. Susie, thank you so much for your time. It's a pleasure. Thank you. About 25 years ago, back in Indiana, before I immigrated to Israel, I'd see kudzu climbing through cracks in pavement, tearing up roads and sidewalks in its climb towards light. Used in landscaping, kudzu was originally brought to North America with the best of intentions to stop soil erosion. The more I heard from Professor Susie Navot this week about the importation of judicial fixes to Israel, the more I began to wonder, could these foreign legal reforms end up causing democratic erosion? She seems to think so. But Navot's optimistic idea of a large tent constitutional Congress is being voiced in the halls of power these days. We just don't yet know whether it will take root. Okay, thanks as always to producer Gilad Brownstein, my podcast partner Jessica Steinberg, the listeners who wrote in with comments, and my brainstorm buddy Mick Weinstein. If you have a question or comment about this or a previous What Matters Now episodes, please write to podcast at timesofisrael.com. And as always, if you like what we're doing here at What Matters Now, please subscribe wherever you find your podcasts.